listening to Black Neon Digital Podcast, episode 28, Pierced and China, turning dreams into reality for Glossybox UK, the British Fashion Council and Google. Now it's your turn. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcast. I'm your host, Jodie Muta Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. In this podcast, we talk to Pia about her experience with companies including Glossybox UK, the British Fashion Council and Google, and how that has led her to becoming a motivational speaker and coach that inspires companies and individuals to tap into our innate creativity, brilliance and wisdom. Please take the time to subscribe and rate and review the show. So I'm very excited to be sat here with you today, Pia. Um, I first came across you quite a while ago when I was, I guess, probably like seven years ago when I started on this whole tech, fashion tech kind of journey and you were one of the people that kept cropping up and I was like, yep, this girl's cool. Yep, keeping an eye on this girl. And then basically I even had you in a draft for Black Neon Digital like and I've just never got round to connecting with you and kind of like getting you for an interview um, and partially the reason for that was because you kind of were on social media and stuff like that quite a lot and then in around June 2017 you dropped off and you've only just recently come back on to social media which I was like yay I'm so excited for this because I just really wanted to speak to you and we'd never met so I'm very grateful for today. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about how you first got into fashion and more on the tech side because you you were at Glossybox UK, Google, all that kind of stuff. So how did it all start for you? Firstly, thank you so much, Jody. It's really such a sweet intro and I feel very supported by you and it's been amazing to reconnect. So the way that I got into tech is the way that I kind of get into everything, which is that I have a kind of curiosity about something and um, find that it's really resonating with me. And often it's easier to look back and with hindsight be like, well, of course, that was going to pan out the way it did. But I do really think that one of the things I've often felt throughout my life is that I didn't really understand how the world worked. Like I often didn't really understand why we did capitalism or why we did marriage the way we did it or religion. And then when I found out about the Internet and I found out about startups and things like that, it just made sense. You know, I suddenly was like, yes, this is this is my tribe. These are my people. And I got really excited. And so the way that I first really got into tech is that I had started a little sustainable fashion label right out of St. Martin's. And at the same time, I had um, also had a baby and I had become a single mother already when I was pregnant. What were you doing at St. Martin's? What was the, what was the course? Or what? I was studying fashion design with marketing. So I always had, a part of me has always been kind of commercially minded and has wanted to create something that makes sense and is useful. I think that's a strong driver for me is being useful. And um, so I didn't want to just do, you know, the more, f more fine arty women's wear degree. I wanted to do something that Practical. was designed yeah. exactly practical yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I had started the sustainable label again wanting to do something that you know maybe was values driven and um, was running it and was finding that the internet meant that I was connecting with all these different people so like people like Time Out from Israel would write to me and say you know we found your 
things or Susie Bubble, who at the time was also just kind of making her way, she discovered it. And so I kept connecting with people about our similar passions and interests and values. And so that for me initially was really exciting. And I just thought, oh my God, this is making the world so small. And then um, I realized that actually I didn't want to do pattern cutting and I didn't want to be a designer. I was really excited by the concept and the strategy and the marketing. So I went and I did a business degree. And actually, I'm forgetting, I actually was also a 24-year-old mother and a single mother. And I just thought, you know... I'm going to do a good degree. Yeah, now. oh my yeah. God, help. <laughs> um, I need to be able to earn money and support this kid and myself. And when I did the master's, I did a master's in international business management. And um, again, it, it seemed like a kind of somewhat commercial situation where I was learning about finance and strategy and marketing. But when, but it was really geared towards managing a, a business, a corporate. And as I was there, the internet started taking off more and more. And there was really a consumer internet boom. And that's when I started getting really excited about startups. And so I started looking for a startup that was in my field, which was, you know, fashion and that area. And that's how then I started really looking for tech. Mm. And then where did where did you go with that? What startup did you find and what did, you know, what was next at that point? So I started really actively reading about tech. So I started reading about the, you know, the guys who sometimes are referred to as the PayPal mafia. So the people who started that and what they went on to do. And I started really acquainting myself with the paradigms, the way that people in tech think. And as I mentioned, like it was one of those things that really resonated with me and where I really felt like, this is how I naturally think and this mm. is how I've always felt things should be. And in addition to just reading online and books and um, looking at different startups all the time, and I think you're probably like that too, I think we're just kind of a magpie brain. Yeah, kind of going investigating, yeah. And kind of researching and <laughs> exactly. yeah, trying to really delve into stuff. I think it's, I think the thing about tech that I love is it's actually really super like process driven in a way because you're building something, you know, from code or whatever, but actually it's so free as well. And it just breaks so many barriers of cultural norms or reach or anything like that. And the, the two for me, the combination is incredible. Yeah, that's so beautifully <laughs> you know, said. Yeah. yeah. And it just, yeah, that's what really excites me. me um, too. Oh yeah. So, so then so, yeah. <laughs> what actually happened is that I, I also started telling people, you know, I really want to be in tech. I want to be in a startup. Um, do you know someone who's doing something in my area? And then I actually asked my professors if I could write my dissertation on venture capital funding. And they all were like, you know, that's not really what you're studying here. You should be on the entrepreneurial <laughs> pathway. But it was kind of too late to do it. And they, in the end, were really kind and just let me do that. And so then I started asking every VC I could in London, would they meet with me and talk to me about what made them invest in someone? Mm. What were the characteristics or the attributes? Was it a business model? Was it numbers? And through that, I started meeting more and more entrepreneurs and more and more VCs. What and were the similarities and what are the characteristics? Yeah, so it's a really interesting <laughs> thing because, you know, venture capital is is finance, but at the same time, especially at the time, so this is, you know, this is 2009, so literally 10 years ago. And I think the London tech scene was, you know, less mature than it is now. But what really stood out is that people, especially early stage, invest in people. You know, so the stories that kept coming up were people like Michael Acton Smith, who now, you know, has like multiple billion dollar businesses. But at the time, I think Index had funded him and he had spent some the best part of 10 years, I think, trying to come up with a business model and really spending all the money that they invested in him. And it was only with the last million of something 
you know, a lot of millions that he came up with, I think Mind Candy or Moshi Monsters or something. And that really took off. And, you know, I'm sure, again, with hindsight, you know, they were very confident that he was always going to make it. But the guy that I spoke to, he did really say, you know, there was always something about this man that we really backed. And it was the same. I spoke to Chris Morton, who's the founder and CEO of List. Um, and at the time, he had just transitioned from VC into being a CEO, and he could tell me a bit about it. And all of these people really said, the thing that you back is someone who has passion and who you feel is going to commit to something and who just has an intention that they're going to make something work. And you have the faith that this person is going to be able mm. to kind of make the most of whatever life throws at them. Yeah, the resilience, basically. Isn't yes. It? Yeah. Presence and yeah. resilience. Yeah. And also, obviously, that vision and the hard yeah. work and, and all the other things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what you just said, vision, I think mm. that's a really key component is I think that you see in someone that there is a certain level of self-directedness in mm. them. That, of course, they are looking at the marketplace. They are looking at what's happening in technology. They're looking at what's happening with consumer. But there's a part of them that has just decided that they're doing this. Mm. And they don't even know what this is because they yeah. pivot along the way, <laughs> but they're doing it. And I guess that's yeah. kind of what I did. So eventually I um, I heard from friends of friends that there was a, uh, a business that was coming from Germany to loads of different countries called Glossy Box. Were you based in Germany then? No, I was based right, in London, okay. but I have many German friends. Yeah. And um, they were incubated by Rocket Internet, who at the time were kind of being... Mm described as the kings of clone because they had cloned so many business models and they were looking for someone in London who could help start a a tech startup that was in the beauty space and would expand into fashion very quickly and I met with one of the kind of so they had four founders for this business and those founders would travel to all sorts of different places in the world and recruit local co-founders who would then run the business in that country clever model yeah yeah (laughs) super shrewd and very aggressive you know I mean I think in the so in the end I met someone um, Jana Schmidholz who is one of those original four founders and has since become one of my absolute dearest friends and most um, you know valued role models as well mm-hmm. as a as a woman who's started multiple businesses as a mother has been an amazing friend and as someone who's always growing as well mm-hmm. but so we met and immediately hit it off and then I joined them to do marketing and sales and that's really how my journey in tech began. Mm-hmm. And and fast forward to say Google, what what was the transition there, and what were you doing at Google? Because everyone wants to know about Google. Yeah, right? of course. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so um, Google came about because I had been at Glossybox for almost three years and had really benefited from the confidence of being given money and being told go do this. And you know we had recruited all these different brands from big um, multinational corporations like L'Oreal and Estee Lauder who had been so hesitant to get on board. Um, you know, I closed deals with Netta Porte and Harrods to do special limited edition boxes. Uh, I'd managed people, I'd changed roles, I did all these different things and that was incredibly empowering. Mm. And at the same time, I also found it very humbling because I realized actually I really have no clue what I'm doing when it comes to people management it's a whole kettle of fish that I don't understand yeah, it's not easy yeah yeah it's can be so hard and it felt very lonely at the time there was quite a lot of animosity in our team and I did, really didn't want that because I actually really felt so protective and maternal over my team but um there was just so much happening where I realized wow woman like you really you need some more support in this area to really step up to the plate And I started thinking more and more as well about Rocket Internet and how their values weren't aligned with mine. 
how it was actually very shrewd and how they would hire amazing talent but not develop that talent, not really actually support people to to become the stars mm. that they had the potential to be. And so I started thinking, you know, where can I learn how to develop talent? What's an organization that's super aligned with my values? And also what's a company where I can lean even more into tech, even more into marketing, even more into, you know, what you mentioned, the processes mm. of mm. having crazy ass ideas and then actually making them real. And Google was the thing that immediately came up. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to go work at Google. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I started thinking, you know, what the hell am I, how am I going to work at Google? And then it was kind of amazing because um, I think so often in my life when I've committed to something, somehow mm. life the then... That and you, yeah, yeah. you put it out to yeah. the world, yeah. And it does somehow mm. work. So then suddenly I remembered that one of my mother's oldest neighbors, friends, you know, who she had grown up with, had a son who lived in London and worked at Google. So I wrote to him and asked, could I come in? And he was really kind and kind of showed me around the office and let me look into the meeting rooms. And and I just was there and I felt was like... Was that in Victoria? It was in the central St. Giles office uh, by Tottenham Court Road. Yeah. And I remember being there and being able to visualize myself there and thinking, mm. yeah, this this feels exciting. You know, I want to have this experience. And then I looked on their website and I saw a job that said beauty at Google. And I thought, oh, my God, that's insane. <laughs> um, that would be perfect. But there was a part of me that thought, actually, I don't want to do beauty anymore because my true passion is fashion. Um, and I kind of ummed and odd a little bit about it. And then I did actually look on the website a few days later and the job was gone. And I had a real, I remember like just feeling just so heavy in my stomach and I actually started to cry and I thought oh my god I've missed my chance the chance is gone yeah yeah. yeah. Um, but I just kept thinking I really do want this and I kept checking back on the website and then suddenly I saw a job that said fashion at Google and I thought oh my god like this is a wet dream <laughs> so my dreams Nuts, come true yeah. um, and then I wrote a cover letter and I wrote my CV and I sent it to this fr son of my mom's friend and he submitted it for me and before I knew it I had an interview and, you know, people told me all these crazy things about interviewing at Google that you have like nine rounds of yeah, interviews. Yeah, I was say five, but yeah, yeah. Nine, nine tops. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, people are going to ask you what you would do if you were a fly in a blender. <laughs> and people are going to ask you if you were in a room filled with rice, how would you get out? And people <laughs> like... People just, no key in a blindfold. Yeah, exactly. Like people completely, <laughs> you know, probably well-intentioned, but just said all these things yeah. that were completely freaking me out. And then when I actually got to my interview, I found it was, you know, amazing. I loved it. And I spoke to someone who ended up becoming my boss and someone who I really respect. And it was an amazing conversation just between two people who are thinking about the industry and where is it going and, and how is technology enabling consumer behavior and shaping it. And it was just so much mm -hmm. fun. And I remember thinking, I really want to work here. <laughs> this is amazing. And then I got called in for a few more rounds. and. At every stage, I met someone who was completely amazing in their own way. And in the end, I was really lucky and I got the job. And um, I worked there for nearly three years and it was an incredible, incredible learning experience. Mm. And and so from that, so three years, you kind of learned. What did you, what would you say? This sounds like an interview now. <laughs> well, it is, but you know what I mean? What would you say your biggest kind of milestones or achievements were at that point that you thought, oh my God, I can't believe I've pulled that off or like, mm. and also going back to the point about, did you feel supported to do the role that you were doing? Because I think that's really important too, you know, we're put in these positions, but there's not always a support there. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, those are actually really good questions <laughs> and actually helpful for me for my own narrative mm. to think about, you know, what were my milestones. So I think one of the things that, that Google did, I don't know if they still do it, but they, so my job was, um, is the title is industry manager. And so the way that um, that works is I was an industry manager and the business part that they call large customer sales. Um, so, you know, anyone can start a Google AdWords account and just self-serve. And once you start spending a certain amount of money and doing things of a certain sophistication, often you'll get a call from SMB, which is small and medium business. Yeah, I've had one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah last week. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so someone will call you and probably give you a bit of advice, you know, see if mm. you need any help or I don't know actually what happened. Yeah, so they yeah, so they sort of look at your goals and what you can achieve and kind of actually assess the market that you're trying to broaden into and see if it's something that's a mature thing or not or kind of like look up plans to make it more mature so it's yeah it's kind mm -hmm. of multi-layered like seo and stuff generally yeah. is as well so great yes yeah so <laughs> that's the thing so then you you get a little bit more support and then once mm. you're someone who's spending really quite a substantial amount of mm. money on the various google products you start getting support from a team that's kind of a mix of consultants and just kind of uh, relationship managers. So I then started managing a portfolio that was um, comprised of some of their largest fashion, beauty and luxury advertisers that were based in the UK or had large operations or large spend in the UK. Um, and there I would work with some of the senior management in those companies or C-level or sometimes even board level. And I'd been at Google for like I don't know, three, four weeks maybe. And I was given a, a quarterly business review to manage for Jimmy Choo. And actually not just for Jimmy Choo, but for the whole group that Jimmy Choo was a part of at the time. And <laughs> I was thinking Thank you, yes, three weeks. Yeah. Then. yeah. And yeah. I was really, really nervous. I mean, I did not sleep the night before and I really was properly shitting myself in, in, in the meeting. And I crashed and burned hardcore because... I just in the actual meeting. Yeah, in the actual okay. meeting. So I did I did actually everything that I was meant to do, but the woman that I was dealing with um very sensibly for her was not that interested in the metrics that we were trying to present to her as meaningful, but was really interested in her business of metrics. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And and that for me was a really good learning curve that you know th there's one thing that someone is doing with you, but actually it's in the context of a much larger organization. And if you want to really serve someone, you need to understand their needs, mm. their challenges, the opportunities in a big picture way, in the way that actually matters to them, not just you spent this much with us and you got this much back, especially if actually maybe that's not a great profit margin for them, even though it looks like a good profit margin from your perspective. So she cut me zero slack and let me know very clearly that what I was presenting to her wasn't what was relevant to her. And, you know, obviously really hurt my ego in the moment. But what was brilliant about it is that I got the opportunity to learn. And, and my boss at the time, you know, he really was like, yep, shit happens, you know, and now you know. And I think that's one of the great things at Google, at least it was at the time, is it was a real sense of empowerment, again, similarly to Rocket Internet, where it was like, you know, basically you will get out of this what you put into this. And if you're willing to be courageous and vulnerable and hardworking and learn, then you're going to nail this. And if not, it's going to hurt. Mm. It's kind of that um, phrase, you know, where it's like ask, ask for um, forgiveness rather than permission. You yeah. Know? And that's kind of quite a cool thing to think about in your daily life and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I just want to talk, I know you have sort of said you're a single mom. I don't want to go into it like too much, but I kind of want to just 
acknowledge that and sort of talk about why that's been different for you as a journey and and that kind of thing like why do you feel that that's sounds a bit stupid but like relative to what you're doing today and obviously it, it drove you to perhaps come away from creativity in a fashion sense and look more towards business and and money really. yeah 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 so so being a single mother is something that for a long time I tried to pretend that it wasn't really a thing that I could just wing it and um for a long time I think I felt a lot of pressure to be as successful as someone who maybe had either not a baby at home or did have a partner or some kind of support at home and it put a lo- I put a lot of pressure on myself and it was only after yeah I was going to say did was the pressure from you or did you definitely feel it around you as well it's you know, definitely so, both yeah so for instance when I was at Rocket I don't think anyone else um, you know also I had a baby really early right I was 24 when I had her um, so, you know, very few people had children at all in my age group. And so often in startups and in places like Google, people are quite young. Um, and then at Google, actually, a lot of people did have families, but they were usually kind of a traditional man, woman, child family. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that. And so I think I felt a lot of pressure to to perform at that same level. Um, it's quite high pressure. I mean, tech and startups are pretty high pressured anyway. You know, yeah. it's, it's not nine to five it's around the clock it's kind of all that stuff and I think it's yeah it's quite (laughs) can be quite tough at times and on your own I'm sure it's well I think the thing that I've realized from it is that at some point I was fighting a losing battle and especially because my daughter's father has you know a lot of his own issues and has battled addiction and um, a mental health disorder Um, and so there was actually kind of pressure from that end rather than you know the just kind of support of a partner there was, there was worse than yeah nothing you know, <laughs> yeah it it's could kind feel of worse yeah. at times yeah. um but what i have been really lucky is that actually his father was financially supporting me and having childcare because if i hadn't had that, that support i wouldn't actually have been able to mm. have the career i have today and i think that's part of what makes it so important for me to talk about single motherhood um because i think if i hadn't had that financial support i would never have had the career that i have today mm. i would not have the the voice that I can have today I just wouldn't my daughter wouldn't have the opportunity she has today mm-hmm. and I think that's something that I really care about and I would really like to help change that and celebrate the women mm-hmm. who are doing the work that they are doing often you know on their own pretty much against the odds and often I think feeling a certain amount of shame and stigma and guilt you know like every mm-hmm. mother basically feels guilt yeah if you're not with your child you feel guilty yeah and, and then if you are with them you yeah. feel like you're not doing the right thing because yeah. they're shouting at you and stuff. yeah it's a total catch-22 yeah. but ultimately I realized okay this is actually not working for me and I started working part-time at Google and in that time I started taking um, more care of my daughter um, in terms of you know being able to pick up from nursery and from school and being really present for her and that was incredibly nurturing for me actually as a being I think being able to really live my mother role mm-hmm. which I kind of was denying in many ways and what also happened is in that time I started going to therapy a lot and I started realizing actually that I was really unhappy I was really anxious I was quite depressed mm-hmm. um, I wasn't really taking a lot of my needs seriously I was just trying to pretend that I didn't have those needs and you know if I think about myself in terms of energy you know we think about extroversion and introversion Um, and I now know that I'm super introverted even though I'm quite a gregarious person 
I mean, I was just running my battery into the ground every day for years over time without recharging myself, not nurturing myself, just not thinking about what I needed. Um, and the other thing that I did when I started working part-time is um, consulting startups and doing more and more speaking things. And that's probably how we initially also came into contact with yeah. each other. And through those three things, I started realizing these things are giving me a lot of energy that actually at work, even though I'm really grateful for the learning experience, I'm actually not feeling connected to this place. I feel very out of place. Yeah, it's time to move on because I guess you're, what you initially were there for was that learning and the kind of bigger organization and you'd taken what you needed from that and kind of could move on. So you took a bit of time out as well, probably after that. Um, you were with your daughter kind of looking at yourself your own reassessing your own values kind of um and now you're basically a coach and um <laughs> you know when when you have that period of reflection and self reassessment you think i've talked to a lot of different people and they're like right i need to be a coach i'm going to be a coach because i've managed myself through this and then a lot of people are like no i know that coaching isn't a thing for me so how have you decided that it is your calling essentially yeah. and you know when you look back through what you've done it's quite a clear path in a, in yeah. a funny way you know so yeah yeah it's funny I feel like you've answered that <laughs> but um so when I started um thinking about coaching so I've actually often thought that coaching is amazing for instance there's a guy who recently passed away in Silicon Valley who was known as the coach and he coached you know Steve Jobs and Larry Page and Sergey Brin and loads of other people and I've read loads about him and listened to many podcasts and interviews with him or about him. Um, but I never thought really like, I'm going to be a coach. It always was something that I just was fascinated by. And then, you know, as you know, I've done a bunch of speaking. And very often after the speaking gigs, what started happening more and more was people would say, you know, that was really amazing. But then you left and everyone had all this new energy and motivation. But then... Didn't know what to do with yes. it or where to go, yeah. Yeah, mm. and, and then they went back to the desk and felt actually more deflated than before you came. <laughs> so can we actually do something with that energy? Can we do a workshop or something like that? Um, and then more and more of the founders that I was advising, I realized that I felt more comfortable not in a role of expert, kind of telling them what to do, but actually in a role where I was holding space for them and through questioning was helping them surface their own knowledge. So rather than putting it in them, helping them get it out from themselves... Mm. Um, and then some of my clients actually asked me, hey, can you coach me? Or I worked on a project where um, I was project managing and more and more of the people that I was working with started coming to me with personal issues. And through a combination of my own life experience and experience in therapy and in coaching and everything I've read, um, I would just make them do exercises to figure out what they wanted to do. And it all just felt so rewarding. And it felt like as I mentioned, you know, I want to feel useful in the world. That's always been a, a calling that I've had. And I just started feeling more and more like, yes, I'm like, you know, I'm taking up space here for a reason. You know, I'm here and it feels like there's a, my, like I'm doing something here that matters. And then I started looking into coaching diplomas. And again, I can totally resonate with people who are thinking about it, but aren't sure what they would do with it. Would they want to become a coach? Would they not? And I think it can be similar to teacher training for yoga or something like that, where you maybe don't necessarily intend to become a yoga teacher, but you really want to go deep on something. Mm. And for me, the coaching course, it's actually been one of the biggest pieces of personal growth that I've done, because as you're learning 
how to be a coach, how to apply the models, and also understanding some of the dynamics and some of the kind of subconscious agreements that we have with each other, some of the transactions we make, you know, where we, I'll give up my independence for you to keep me safe, or, you know, whatever it might be. Or I'll pretend that I, you know, I'm always in a problem so that you can rescue me and you can feel important and I can feel safe, whatever those things are. They're incredibly triggering. So, you know, a lot of stuff came up for me and I started being able to understand a lot of things in my life. Um, and as part of the diploma, you have to practice coach people. So I started coaching people and straight away I I was just like, oh my God, this is it. You know, I really feel super aligned with this. And, you know, when I was at Google, even in my interviews, I'd said to them, I want to be here for a maximum five years. Like, I do not want to become a corporate slave. And... Um, I think I always knew that I wanted to do something for myself. And so when I was doing the coaching, I felt the opposite of what I felt at Google, where, you know, I tell someone I work at Google and they'd say, oh, my God, amazing. And I could feel that my ego would come online and be like, yes, tell me how amazing I am. Whereas with the coaching, I could feel that my ego actually was leaving the room and I really became just a vessel of of good intention for my client and helping them discover what is blocking me from becoming, you know, the the version of me that I want to? What's stopping me from experiencing life the way that I want to? Yeah, because it's it's completely about them. Hundred percent yeah. about them. Yeah, and it's it's so beautiful because it shows you all your stuff. You know, you you notice when you're judging people. You notice when you think you know what someone should be doing. Um, you notice when you're colluding with them and saying yes, you know, you can't win. Of course, like life is against you. Poor you, and it just brings up so many things for you that can keep helping you become more and more present in the moment and more and more open to the truth of really what is possible, rather than being stuck in in patterns. Mm. So, how does that translate in a business sense? So, so you, I know you coach clients that are also. It's not just personal stuff. It's business goals and that kind of thing. So, how? Yeah, how do you approach coaching for business and, and what does that look like? And looking forward to next year, 2020, which is probably when we're going to release this, what do we do? We're kind of like <laughs> all going a bit mad at the minute, you know, but kind yeah. of what, how can we deal with life? Yeah. Question. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm like really the, um, the messiah on this, but I can answer the question about how I approach coaching. Yeah. And I think it is really interesting to, to think about, you know, what is coaching versus, for instance, counseling or what is coaching mm. versus um, consulting or mentoring? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, when you think about therapy, I think it helps you make sense of your past so you can arrive in your present in a really full way and, and feeling whole and, and resourceful and creative to deal with it rather than triggered or small or doing things that actually are sabotaging you. Um, and when you are a consultant or a mentor, I think you're brought in as someone to share expertise with other people. So you're someone whose knowledge has to be really up to date on what's happening in the industry, mm. what's happening with consumers. <laughs> you're a consumer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you've Exhausting. got to be absolutely on it. The energy yeah. to maintain that is full on. Yeah, because you basically always have to be the first to the cutting edge. Mm. Um, and, and really also, you know, you can very easily find yourself in a position where, um, you know, I think you're trying to save people or rescue them or you know tell them what to do or whatever it is but um you know you are kind of there to tell people how to do something and and it can put a huge amount of pressure on you and it can i think in a way be kind of disempowering for the other person mm. and the way that coaching works versus therapy is that it's really about 
being really fully present in your presence. So really being able to see what's happening to you. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? How are you stopping yourself? How are you sabotaging yourself? Mm. Um, and Do you align it to a goal? So like yeah. say, for example, whatever your goal is, whether it's about having more time for yourself mm. or like a lifestyle that you want to lead or even monetary goals, like do you align it to something and get to that point or is it more like on a daily thing you can come and talk yeah. to you or well it is <laughs> no do? it is it is actually very aligned so it's yeah. you know it's very much about creating the future that you want and the experience of life that you want and the way that that works is that instead of being with a consultant who's telling you what to do or a mentor who's done something before and has a certain idea of how you should be doing things um, also versus speaking to friends and family who might be well-intentioned for you but you know, might give you advice that keeps you small or might give you advice that keeps you safe, supposedly safe, safe here, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. But so many of my clients are coming to me and saying, you know, I did everything right. I played by the rules. I did the corporate thing. I got the MBA or whatnot. And I'm so unhappy or I'm still job hunting or, you know, I did the right thing and I got married, but I'm not happy. And I think a lot mm. of people have grown up in, in a paradigm that our parents and our grandparents had which was that there's scarcity in life there, you know, you have to do certain things. It's not going to be fun. You know, you can't have your cake and eat it. All of these kind of things. Money doesn't grow on trees. Yeah. Um, you know, better the devil, you know, mm. all of these things that make you stay stuck in many ways, even if you're unhappy. And what coaching does is that it provides a safe space where you can come and bring Everything that you might feel ashamed or guilty of saying to other people for sounding ungrateful or for sounding weak or vulnerable. And it also allows you to bring your inner Kanye and be like, you know, I want to be the best in this game yeah, yeah, yeah. without other people being like, who do you think you are or cringing at you or you're judging you because your coach is really just there to hold that mm. space for you and help you discover. And you know, most people initially come and want to talk about their goals and then very quickly realize actually there's a lot of pain that's holding them back and that they need to process. And it's funny because we don't do it in the same way that therapy does it. It doesn't go that deep often, but often in one session, I mean, it doesn't go that far back for a long time, but oftentimes in one session, people will have real awakenings and sometimes people do really cry and they really realize what's been stopping them. And often it's actually recognizing how they've betrayed themselves, mm. how they've sabotaged themselves, how they've put pressure on themselves that's been unhelpful. Mm. Um, but after they kind of get into a place where they're embracing joy more, where they're um, practicing different things that help them be present in the moment and to themselves, and they start strengthening their inner voice, their inner confidence, um, they're off to the races. I mean, it's amazing yeah. to see what my clients do in their businesses and their marriages and their relationships with themselves. It's completely inspiring. Mm. Um, yeah, I won't sign me up, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just thinking now quickly, what would be your top tips to smash 2020? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, what, what we, I think you and I, both as people who love tech and, and the idealism behind it and the ability to create a new future for ourselves, um, I think it's really understanding that all the rules are f gone. You know, a lot of us are living for the past mm -hmm. and in the present and especially in the future, you don't have to be a certain type of person. You don't have to, you don't have to really do anything. It's really your call if you feel like you have to do this or call that person or go here or keep that job and of course there's there's often an issue initially of can you afford to leave your job or 
can you afford to leave your marriage or can you afford counseling or therapy or a personal trainer or the things that will get you where you want. But I really believe that if you have the intention to to lead your best life as millennials, that sounds. Yeah, live your best life, yeah. Um, you know, if you have the intention to find your purpose, if you have the intention to live in alignment with your values, then, and you commit to that, then you will find that life will really help you out. You know, you will find that money and you will find that job and you will find your tribe. And it will be step by step, but the more you can step into that feeling of worthiness of the life that you wish for, um, a feeling about yourself in the way that, you know, we often feel we want other people to feel, you know, like for a long time, mm -hmm. I had relationships where I wanted them to make me feel special. I wanted them to make me feel safe. I wanted them to tell me how loved I am. And I think the key is to realize, like, what are your needs and what are your values? And then do it for yourself. Um, so I think in practical terms, what that means to me is a, is a, is a meditation practice. Um, but everyone has something else. But I think, the you know, I have a mantra that I really employ on a pretty much daily basis, which is to connect and then to create and only then to consume. And for me, connection means meditation or tapping or journaling or sometimes it's exercising, but whatever creates that connection to my true self. Mm -hmm. And also I do believe in life in terms of a higher power. Like I think I'm a transcendentalist, but I do believe that there is a rhyme and a reason and a flow to what's happening to us. And when things aren't going our way, there's a reason. Or when I'm feeling really angry, I do now ask myself, what is this anger telling me? You know, is it telling me that I'm really tired and I'm getting triggered easily? My boundaries are down. Or is it telling me actually that I'm being treated in a way that I'm, I don't stand for and I'm, I want to do something about it? But the short answer to this is really honor yourself. You know, as cheesy as that might sound is take time to sit with yourself. Take time to know what you need. And until you take yourself seriously, nobody else will. So I think that's the key is, you know, take yourself seriously. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, pleasure. Thank you. Till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and online at blackneondigital.com.